Hello. Welcome to the Bakery and Snacks chat podcast, as well as the Confectionary News podcast. I'm Christine Sherrod, U.S. correspondent for both of these websites. Today, we dig deep into the complicated world of private equity investment and how snack brands and other startup food companies can catch the eye of investors. We speak with Dayton Miller, a managing partner at Boulder Food Group, a Colorado-based firm specializing in early-stage food and beverage product companies. My name is Dayton Miller. I'm a managing partner at Boulder Food Group. They have supported brands like Bobo's Oat Bars and Quinn Snacks, both of which we'll talk about in the podcast. They've also invested in Power and Chameleon Cold Brew Coffee, among others. Dayton tells us what BFG looks for when deciding where to invest, and near the end, offers up some sound advice for entrepreneurs with a big idea. Listen in. By virtue of our backgrounds and experience, um, we can be a really thoughtful uh, advisor and um, uh, someone who is hopefully the first phone call when things go wrong or go right um, and, uh, and and hopefully have a, a bit more patience and kind of empathy and understanding um, as, uh, as entrepreneurs are, are, are working through the, the throes of, um, uh, of building a business and, and, and hopefully have a, a pretty unique perspective in that regard. We also like to get involved in kind of the strategy of the business, um, whether that's things like retailer sequencing and kind of methodically attacking uh, the retail landscape or thinking about price pack architecture and what is going to be a successful value proposition for uh, for the consumer, uh, thing, things along those lines. The short answer is, is, is uh, you know, anything and everything is normally what, what is involved with us. What are some of the most important characteristics that you seek when you are considering investing? And also how much... How much of it is people coming to you and how much of it is your team going out there and finding, uh, you know, doing that, that kind of legwork? In terms of what we look for, it really does start with the people. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but um, at the end of the day, uh, what we're as we get to know entrepreneurs, what we're, we're ultimately trying to assess is, is whether um, this is someone that we want to be spending the next seven to 10 years with and, you know, how are we going to feel when uh, this person is calling us on a Sunday morning or a Saturday afternoon? Um, Because, you know, it's not like the work ever, ever stops. And, you know, inversely, that's often the advice that we give to entrepreneurs is, you know, make sure you're really comfortable with your capital partner and, um, you you know, you're never um, feeling um, a sense of regret when, when you have to make a difficult phone call. To, to, to that uh, group. So, you know, I, I think it, it's really kind of how are they thinking about the business? How are they thinking about the business opportunity? Um, is this something that they want to um, ideally, you know, scale very quickly and um, where, where outside capital uh, makes a lot of sense? So that's certainly one piece of it. The other is really just what the, the product and the market opportunity is. Um, obviously, there's a lot of trends and the world is evolving really quickly in terms of how people are eating. And thankfully, um, you know, uh, folks are really uh, paying a lot more attention to to what they're putting in their bodies. But is this an area where we feel like there's a lot of white space and, um, you know, alongside uh, hopefully a great entrepreneur, is this uh, something that is going to be big enough where 
um, it's worth spending uh, a lot of capital and and time. Th- those are, are some of the main things. I mean, obviously, taste when you're talking about food or beverage um, is is still critically important. Taste is is really paramount to building a, a, a big brand. And then in terms of kind of how we we find deals and um, or deals find us, uh, it, it's a pretty good mix. Um, we are are definitely in retail uh, in the trade. Um, uh, you know, folks on our team daily. Then we're also, you know, attending all of the usual industry conferences and things along those lines. And then at the same time, I, I mean, what we um, like to think at least is that our portfolio is out there kind of doing some of the, the heavy lifting for us. The last few years, the, the, the food world has really gotten a lot smaller uh, in the entrepreneurial sense. And um, with LinkedIn and, and other uh, platforms, uh, entrepreneurs are more accessible than they've ever been. Uh, so, you know, we we are hopefully have been great partners to our existing portfolio. Any new brand that is considering raising capital um, will likely be reaching out to them and saying, you know, what is it like to work with BFG? Have they um, you know, been as value add as they, they like to think and um, things along those lines. And, uh, uh, and then that ultimately leads to some good inbound qualified uh, deal leads as well. Are there any warning signs that you might see in a company that would sort of be a deterrent or maybe, you know, something that you might say the idea is intriguing, but I feel like you need more time before you get to the point of outside capital? There, there are definitely uh, trends out there that might take a, a, a bit longer to kind of catch on than than others. You know, without naming names, um, one one uh, portfolio company approached us, and candidly, at the time, we thought it was too too much of a niche market, and you know, kept in touch with the entrepreneur who was a, a, a real go getter, and um, ended up leading the the Series B about a year later. Once you know, we we were kind of proven wrong that um, the market opportunity was bigger than we realized and the performance over that next year really opened our eyes to that so you know we're, we're, we're certainly trying to maintain some humility here as we as we kind of do this for us specifically and, and really all investors hopefully there are a hundred different ways to win um, but I think most investors are thinking about the, the overall amount of capital that they're uh, that they're investing and kind of what does that mean and how does that inform their strategy and so for us, I mean, we're we're a relatively modest sized fund, so things like capital efficiency are are important to us, um, and and might be more important to us than than maybe other investors who have a have a really you know mega fund or whatever. So we like to see some real traction relative to the amount of capital that has been invested into the business thus far, because it just gives us a bit more comfort that we're ultimately building a, a business that's going to be viable for the long term and is not necessarily just being artificially inflated by a, a lot of marketing dollars. Now, that being said, like it should become come with a full caveat that like if you have the identify the right market opportunity, spending that money and really raising heavily in order to get behind that adoption, I think can be a fabulous use of, uh, of proceeds. So every, every situation is really different. A lot of new snack brands, as you mentioned, you know, the entrepreneurs themselves have more accessibility to one another, and they also have more accessibility to directly connect with consumers and with potential customers. So how do you consider online sales and some of the approaches of the direct-to-consumer sales that a lot of upstart brands take? 
The, the short answer is we really look at both, and I think it varies dramatically by category. So if you're shell, selling something that's shelf-stable like Pancake Makes or, or something along those lines, obviously the, the online component is much easier to scale and, and can often make a lot of sense. But a number of our investments are also uh, have, have frozen or refrigerated supply chains, in which case um, the online component, at least today, isn't nearly as important. And then if you start to look at other categories, whether it's you know, personal care or, or, or others, you know, I think you can see an even larger percentage of uh, sales going online. You know, we're believers that at the end of the day, if you really want to build a big business, retail is important. But I think to what you're getting at, kind of how you sequence retail can vary depending on what your, your strategy might be. So, um, you know, the great thing about today is you can launch a brand online and really, you know, have a minimally viable product and see if there's real uh, consumer acceptance to the problem that you're trying to solve. And if so, you know, use that proof point to ultimately raise capital and drive into retail in a big way. The number of specialty diets and whether that's keto or vegan or paleo or or low FODMAP or whatever it may be. There's so many um, kind of food tribes out there that we've seen those types of products get their initial core customer base online. And that ultimately is what they need to kind of champion themselves to have success at retail. So I think that's a really good thing for the market overall and kind of delivering products that consumers really want. Thanks for listening to our conversation so far with Dayton Miller of Boulder Food Group. Up next, Dayton shares details on a few brands the firm already supports. Bobo's, which is also based in Boulder, makes organic oat bars that are vegan and gluten-free. The company received additional investment this year and is poised for further growth. Quinn Snacks, led by a female entrepreneur, makes sorghum-based pretzels and organic microwave popcorn. The brand has found a solid partner in Whole Foods and has also developed a robust transparency system that allows consumers to trace their snacks all the way back to the farm. Why did BFG invest in these companies? Let's get back to Dayton. TJ McIntyre at Bobo's, the CEO there, is someone that my partner Tom has had a, a long relationship with going back to several different prior lives, someone that we um, have always admired and, and was really thinking it would be great to partner with in some capacity. And so when the opportunity to, to partner with Bobo's uh, came about, it was actually a pretty fast decision for us because um, this was, uh, you know, bars that were um, a lot less processed than, than, than most on the market, vegan, gluten-free, et cetera, still tasted great. And ones that we were, we were personally fans of, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, like on the, on the early stage, uh, Food World is really driven by innovation. Some of the innovation that Bobos has already launched as well as what they're thinking about is, um, is, is really awesome and unique to the, to the marketplace. On Quinn, uh, very similar situation with Christy Lewis, who is uh, just a, a fabulous female entrepreneur who uh, approached the food industry from a really authentic standpoint with her, her son, Quinn, and kind of rethinking what traditional um, snacks might be if they're done in a, in a, in a better-for-you way with transparency and traceability and, and real ingredients. So, you know, they've used ingredients like sorghum and, and have really kind of gone, gone after 
traditional snacks in a, in a unique and innovative way. And um, I think with a really authentic story as well, it, it, it's kind of wild because just thinking about our portfolio, whether it's Quinn or Malk or Cauliflower or, or Bobo's, um, all of those brands were started by moms for their kids. And uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a big trend that's, that's real and allows uh, consumers to understand the authenticity of why a, a product or brand exists. With something like Bobo's, for instance, you know, it's an oat bar and the bar category is obviously so saturated right now. So from your perspective, what's that sweet spot balance between having that sort of authentic story, it sounds like is really important in being able to get a get a brand off the ground today? I wish I had a perfect answer for you. I, I, I think it's something we, we, we think about a lot. And it's right. I mean, do you go after... Uh, you know, a mega category and one that's going to take a tremendous amount of capital and, you know, might be hard to differentiate or do you find a niche and kind of grow with the category over time? You know, the, the short answer is I think you can, there's no one way to, to build a business. I mean, even when you, when you look at like Birch Benders, which is their pancake mix and, and waffle company, you know, that was another uh, mega category. And But I, I'd say the short answer is it really just kind of comes down to the innovation and uh, and whether uh, I think with the right innovation, the right team, and the right taste profile, if you're, if you're kind of getting those three metrics to line up, you can you can go after uh, anything. You know, another kind of in the same vein of Bobo's and Quinn is another business called Barnana. They take like the the bananas that are too ripe to be sold on the shelves, and they upcycle them to to great tasting banana snacks. And it's another like super authentic story. The founder is Brazilian, so they're kind of you know able to come after that category again with with something that's really unique and different. It has a has a very different taste profile. I did want to talk with you a little bit about Good Day Chocolate, a supplement company, but they make functional chocolates with, you know, value-added ingredients like turmeric and chamomile, probiotics, things that are obviously very hot right now across packaged food. What attracted the group to that company? It's a little bit, you know, different than a cereal bar or a snack company. Obviously, totally agree that it, it, it might feel a little bit different than some of the rest of the products in the portfolio. From a how we thought about the investment standpoint, very, very similar to, to everything else in the portfolio in the sense that um, with, with Andy Goldman, the, the doctor and, and uh, co-founder here, ha- had an extremely authentic story. He had actually, as a practicing doctor, had um, developed some lollipops for his, his office with functional ingredients in it um, and kind of been toying around with various uh, delivery mechanisms over the years and then uh, ultimately decided on, on chocolate being um, a great delivery mechanism because of the, the taste profile, the transportability, the, the dose that you can do. And, and so that brand had gotten into uh, one region of Whole Foods when we, we started connecting with them, another Boulder-based company. Um, you know, we, we thought that there was a massive opportunity here to bring you know, more legitimacy and functionality um, to chocolates and hopefully in a delivery mechanism that's a, a bit more playful and, and, and uh, different than, you know, the, the plethora of pills that are on the, on the market. Because of the chocolate angle, because of the taste profile of the products, 
while obviously uh, legally a, a dietary supplement, we did think there was a lot of food components to this and also the, the route to market being the, a lot of the retailers that we're, we're intimately familiar with. So when we kind of think about things like price pack architecture, moving into some of the larger count um, products, sizes, and, and things along those lines, then, uh, you know, hopefully they agree, a, a really great partnership and, you know, one that uh, when we, we first uh, started to know them, they were in, I think, 45 uh, doors in total. They expanded that to be in, in, in Whole Foods uh, nationwide the following year, and now they're in close to 10,000 retail doors. It's really been a, been a fun one to be a, be a part of. How important is it to have not even necessarily just Whole Foods, but, you know, other companies like Whole Foods on your side these days? Is it possible to make it without them? And also, has it become more challenging in the past few years as, you know, the shelves kind of get more and more crowded with more SKUs and more brands? I think all um, valid considerations. I think, uh, you know, just to answer your question first, I, I do think it's possible to succeed without them. I think it really varies, though, again, based on category. So especially on the direct consumer side, you can have a lot more success if you're selling something that's uh, shelf-stable and, and, and ambient. We tend to think about it more from a channel perspective than a specific retailer perspective. Unfortunately, the, the, the individual retailer dynamics are still largely buyer-driven, and you just never know whether uh, your product is going to resonate with the, the particular buyer at each of these chains. That said, uh, you know, when we think about the specialty and natural channel as a whole, that's certainly a very influential channel still. It's where a lot of you know, more forward-thinking consumers are shopping. And if you're kind of going back to the analogy of, of, of having investing in something that's a bit of a slower, longer build, you, you certainly want to make sure you're, you're working in, in those channels before expanding into mass supermarkets like um, Walmart or Kroger or, or, or things along those lines. So, but that said, like whether it's Whole Foods or Sprouts or Bristol Farms or Mariano's, like you don't really uh, know. Uh, it, it's more, hopefully you're in some of them and, and the ones that maybe turn you down will, will see the performance in their competitors and ultimately uh, partner with you down the road. There's Interesting R&D happening, uh, you know, not just at the entrepreneurial level, but also from, you know, some of the world's largest food companies have, you know, yielded some ground in their own R&D spaces to sort of focus more on strategic acquisitions of companies, probably some very much like the ones that Boulder Food Group has invested in. So I was curious to get your perspective on being a player in that space and, you know, a big part of helping small brands that seem like they have potential. How is that affecting the investment Game. The way we think about it, at least, is uh, the, um, it's really the consumer and the shift in the consumer, um, paying more attention to what they're consuming and eating that's kind of driving the, the underlying engine that's kind of driving all of these changes. You know, a few years ago, maybe you could have criticized uh, some of the bigger food and, and CPG companies as being a bit slow to react, but I actually believe that in the, in the last few years, uh, to your point, they've really 
evolved in a, in a, in a very smart way. And um, not only are, are incubating brands, but they're investing earlier in brands. So there's a very much a hybrid model. I think it's still a tiny bit challenging because I think at the end of the day, you're either built for innovation excellence or, or operational efficiency. And, and those two dynamics are fundamentally uh, opposed to each other if you're, so, so that's, that's hard. That said, gone are the days of maybe kind of making a, a big splash in the market and kind of hoping for a, a fast exit, which, which really kind of ultimately gets down to why are entrepreneurs doing this and are they doing it for the right reasons? And is there really an authentic brand attached to why, why they're doing it or, or, um, you know, are they, they kind of chasing dollar signs? So yeah, I, I think, you know, our belief is at the end of the day, you just have to build a good business and, and if you, you build a good business, then you'll you'll have options. So when we're looking at an investment, we want to make sure um, not only is the top line interesting, but the bottom line is interesting as well. If you could give sort of specific advice to an entrepreneur that you know thinks that they have a great idea on their hands, one thing that you know I would personally recommend at least is just kind of staying close to the consumer and. And, and what I mean by that is ultimately doing whatever you can to kind of bootstrap yourself to get a little bit of traction, whether that's you know, putting up a, a very canned website or selling at farmer's markets or a handful of specialty stores in, in your, your home region. Really staying small and staying lean for as long as you can until you really have the, the product right and you think you have something that is differentiated in the market and, and meets a real need. And so it's, it's almost like go really slow and and kind of you know get the foundation right and then when you you've got to raise money be prepared to go really fast because you know the going back to the point earlier of being many different ways to win i mean not every brand needs to to go out and raise outside capital and i think if you're building a good business then that's really what is going to be attractive to either an investor or potential acquirer and to really just be thinking about that and in, in the in, in the back of your mind and hopefully uh, surround yourself with with great people and ones that have a similar passion for for what you're doing but i think you know, if you're going out to raise institutional money, um, it is good to have some type of early traction unless you are a total known entity uh, and have had kind of multiple successful exits in your prior life, um, which very few people have. Uh, that might be a, a slight exception to the rule, but otherwise kind of, you know, show, don't tell. And if you're, if you're showing um, the market acceptance of something, it's really hard to to argue with that, even um, the most pessimistic investor. One last thing. Dayton told us what trends BFG is closely following. Well, plant-based foods are not going away, he said. But emerging trends include gut health, the impact of sugar on diet and health, and healthy fats. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you next time.